I'm Elisa Lucas from Best Forevers, a podcast for kindred spirits. I'd like to start a movement where we spend more time loving on our friends because although friends are important to us, they're often in the shadow of other relationships. So if you want to love on your friendships a little bit more, embrace friendship a little bit more, or just appreciate your friendships a little bit more, then this podcast is for you. We'll explore all the different ways friendships take place, share the amazing stories of friendship, and discuss best practices for the difficulties that friends may experience. It's time to embrace friendships because without our friends, who would we be? So check out Best Forevers on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other podcasting listening venues. And be sure to follow Best Forevers Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me. everybody, welcome to another episode of Geek and Amazons. I am your co-host, Bella. I'm Mina. So listeners, in case you haven't figured out by now, if you've stuck around, you probably know that Mina and I talk to each other pretty much Mm -hmm. 24-7. And we both found ourselves with nothing to do on Valentine's Day. Matthew was working, so I was home alone. So I suggested to Mina, I said, do you want to have a virtual date? And what we ended up doing is that we watched a documentary together. We were separate. She was at her place. I was at mine. We started the documentary together. And then we just like texted Mm -hmm. while we watched it. Haunt, Haunt Masters? What was the name of the? Haunters. Oh, yeah. It's about people who. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was about people who work in haunted houses in yeah. the haunted house industry, and it was so much fun. Yeah, it was a roller coaster. Yeah, it was a great documentary. We had so much fun doing it, and it was fun to like be alone together, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And it was really fun because like we got to watch the same thing and talk about it, at the, and we got to experience it at the same time. And whenever there was like a big reveal, we were like, ah, <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and I. I love documentaries. They're probably my favorite film genre. I like the realness of it. I like that nothing is really planned. I mean, sometimes you have the influence of the filmmaker because they can edit the film the way they want. But when it comes down to it, you're getting the real stuff. And I thought it would be fun to to do kind of a kind of a version of our Valentine's Day date. And I thought it would be fun for Mina and I to watch a documentary that's relevant to the topic of our podcast at talk about it, but talk about it and have it recorded. So mm-hmm. this is uh, something new that we're going to try. Yeah. And I'm really excited about it. And because Mina calls me the documentary queen. Uh, you are, though. <laughs> I watch a lot of documentaries, you guys. Like I'm not, I've watched in one day, I watched a documentary about the MPAA rating system, about the American Grindhouse film culture and about charter schools. And that was just in one day. If you ever need a documentary recommendation, you go to this lady. And I'm speaking from experience mm-hmm. because I you have never <laughs> recommended one to me. And I, afterwards, I've been like, meh. Afterwards, I'm like, oh, my God, that was insane. <laughs> and I'm not, Aww. not, not into documentaries at all. I have a hard time with anything that's nonfiction. So... It is a testament to your documentary prowess. Right. Well, because I like I like a documentary where I can learn but also be entertained. Mm-hmm. Every so often I will go for the fluff documentaries. I like a documentary where I can be educated, that I can get a new perspective, and I walk away from it going, oh, I know more than I did two hours ago. Mm -hmm. So like I said, this is something new that we're going to try. If this works out, maybe we'll do more. Mm -hmm. So shall we dive right in? Shall we tell the people uh, what we're doing? Mm -hmm. So the documentary that I suggested for our first shot was a documentary from 2011 called Misrepresentation, and it is directed and produced by Jennifer Newsom. It came out in 2011. And the synopsis is it explores how the mainstream media's often disparaging portrayals of women contribute to the underrepresentation of females in position of leadership. Ha. <sighs> Yeah. So, Mina, I have talked enough, so <laughs> why don't you give me your overall thoughts? So, it's funny because Belinda gave me a few choices and I went with the 
lighter one because I wasn't really ready to dive into such heavy topics. And this was still very difficult to watch because you're seeing something that is so inherent to our culture. And it's a part of everyday life. These are micro and macro aggressions that women deal with on a day-to-day basis. And as such, we've sort of developed this coping mechanism for it. It's different in everyone and some can handle more than others. And it's an unfortunate truth. But sitting there for an hour and a half and just being bombarded with all of these awful misogynist images, statements, reports, women talking about their experiences, teenagers talking about their experiences, hearing men say terrible misogynistic things, seeing some women say really internalized misogynistic things. It's a lot. Mm. It's a lot. And it's exhausting and it's draining. It's a great documentary. (laughs) It's very, very good. And I was nodding the whole time. But basically, it's a condensed version of what we deal with. And when you look at it that way, holy crap, our society is terrible, terrible, terrible towards women. Oh, a hundred percent. I'm shocked that I've made it this far. <laughs> Honestly, no, I, just in terms of like being a person. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say this documentary is from 2011. Mm-hmm. So we're seven, we're seven years out. The numbers are probably not super up to date, mm-hmm. but I don't doubt that they haven't changed. Right. Newsom does provide statistics mm-hmm. for things. I mean, right off the bat, she gives the statistic, the average American teenager consumes 10 hours and 45 minutes of media a day. Mm-hmm. So that's 31 hours a week watching TV, 17 hours listening to music, three hours a week watching movies, four hours of magazine reading, 10 hours a week online. And that was seven years ago. The mm-hmm. hours online are probably higher. Much higher. higher. Yeah, I would say higher than the magazine reading. Yes, absolutely. The magazine reading, I think, maybe had even gone down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you can now get your magazine online. Mm-hmm. So, And on social media, so much stuff is shared. I would say that the overall number of 10 hours and 45 minutes a day, I would say maybe that is still relevant. But I think that in, when you break it down by medium. Yeah. I actually, it could be higher because technically kids aren't allowed to have their phones in school, but that definitely, definitely isn't the case. Mm. I Speaking from experience, I know kids have their phones with them at all times (laughs) and check them whenever they can. So maybe the number isn't much higher, but we all know that between classes, these kids, and even in class, these kids are checking their phones. So Mm. it's at the point where you're constantly connected. And if you're on social media, which you probably are, you're constantly being bombarded with these images. Yeah. Remember when, like, you used to read a book? <laughs> sorry, that's so judgy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kids these days. Get off my lawn. <laughs> so the documentary just basically talks about how the the media is the message and the messenger, mm-hmm. which is very, very true because it's like we see these things on TV and, and in movies and things like that. And that's like it's like spoon fed to us at like a super early age. Yeah, it drives me nuts when people get irritated or criticize those of us who analyze our media so thoroughly. It's just a TV show. It's just a movie. But you and I Mm. both know that this is the world that kids live in. This is the world a lot of adults live in. I use this stuff as escapism. I'm not the only one. I always have. I was an only child. I grew up watching TV and reading books and being exposed to all this media. And most kids are. So don't you try and tell me that this is something that's frivolous that shouldn't be analyzed because no, this is how people connect with the world. This is your first experience seeing things outside of your home. Right. So it is absolutely important that we talk about what's going on in the media and it's not something frivolous. They actually say that in the media, the demographic that the TV industry mainly focuses on is the demographic of men between 18 and 34 because statistics have shown that men don't watch as much TV as women do. So that's why... They're like, how can we get men to watch TV? Oh, we'll put boobs on it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why a lot of the advertising, a lot of the programming, a lot of the news, like, holy shit, I didn't mm-hmm. realize until I saw one clip after another of these news anchors 
dressed like, you know, well, I think they say in the documentary, they say dressed like cocktail waitresses. Mm-hmm. And part of me cringed because it's a little slut shamey, but then I thought about it and right. these women, it's not their choice to dress that way. We all know that their bosses tell them to dress that way. And we all know that if they don't, they get fired and they are immediately replaced. But then again, they talk about Katie Couric and how Katie Couric, you're like, oh, don't you think her skirt was a little too short? Mm-hmm. Oh, don't you think that jacket was just the wrong color? Mm-hmm. So like you're when you're a woman in the media, you are literally damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Because this documentary stressed this, when women are put in the spotlight, it's not like when men are put in the spotlight. When men do something, their actions have value. There are questions about their actions, their crush mother integrity. The minute a woman is put into the spotlight, all of the attention goes to how she looks, regardless yeah. of what she's done. The documentary was so good at pointing this out. The bottom line is, as a woman, you are entitled to dress and do whatever you want. That's the whole point. But the world doesn't care and it will mm. only focus on how you look. So if you are a cocktail waitress and you dress sexy, that's your prerogative, but you're going to get called a slut. Right. If you are a neuroscientist in a lab coat all day, you're going to get called a prude, boring. They're going to criticize you because you don't focus on your looks. So it doesn't matter what you do. People are going to find a way to to tear you down. Right. And especially women in politics, again- 2011. So they're mainly focusing on 2008, where we're like in Obama's first term at this point, and he had defeated in the Democratic primaries, he had defeated Hillary Clinton. And then of course, you know, who was it was John McCain and Sarah Palin. So you had Hillary Clinton, and you had Sarah Palin in these 24 hour news cycles. Meanwhile, Hillary got, oh, she looks haggard. Oh, she looks tired. Oh, she looks, you know, like she's 90. And meanwhile, now I could not disagree with Sarah Palin's politics more (laughs) but you really have to admit she was attractive and she got she got just as much shit for being attractive Mm -hmm. you know they said she looked like a bimbo they had a lot of these shots of her like pinning up her legs I'm ashamed to admit I know for a fact that there were porn parodies made with Sarah Palin Mm -hmm. And despite her stance on things, despite her personal life and things like, come on, you guys, like this is a woman who could have potentially helped run our country. Mm-hmm. You know, and they were like, who wore it better? You know, who's the who's the hottest politician in the U.S.? Mm-hmm. And, and they, they diminish their accomplishments by referring to them as Mrs. Palin or Mrs. Clinton instead of instead of governor or secretary. And that what was that one lady who said when Geraldine Ferraro was was the the first female vice president and they introduced her as size six mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah or the language used when discussing these women so whenever an article would talk about a man it would be he stated he said he told when it was a woman it was emotional language use so she complained so even the language used even something that seems so innocuous right is used against women and the whole goal is to dehumanize her and strip away her agency and her authority. Nancy Pelosi was interviewed for the documentary and she talks about how when she was first, when she first got into politics, her youngest child was a senior in high school and the question she got most was, but who will take care of your children? (laughs) And so so like they diminish her, like it doesn't matter what her accomplishments were or what her stance was or what platforms were oh think of the children it reminded me of that scene in in parks and recreation when leslie and ben where ben was running for governor mm-hmm. and jen barkley warned leslie like they don't care about your accomplishments mm-hmm. you're, you're the wife of a candidate and they're gonna ask you stupid questions mm-hmm. <laughs> why'd you change your hair i don't know i just thought i would look better this way or my kids got gum in it <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes from Parks and Rec. (laughs) What I hated the most, I mean, and Matthew watched the documentary with me, and I was muttering F-bombs the entire time. (laughs) They were going through all of the male news pundits and talking heads talking about women in politics and their looks. And I was like, oh, go take a long walk off a short pier, buddy. Yeah, it was pretty disgusting to think about the fact that these are professional 
men whose job it is to inform viewers and inform our society and no one cares that they're literally sitting there and calling women bitches and calling them ugly and calling Mm -hmm. them fat and these are women who not that they deserve more respect because everyone deserves respect but to strip someone who's worked so hard and accomplished so much of what she's done Mm -hmm. that's disgusting and it's not something men have to deal with and that's the problem it's like this right insidious it's like this disturbing thing where nothing women do is ever going to be good enough and everything they do is put through the male gaze yeah and then and then like to even be a woman in politics is just like in and of itself is just this hurdle because Condoleezza Rice was interviewed for the documentary and she said you know for women to break through in politics two things have to happen first you obviously you have to have the candidate but second you need to have the psychological breakthrough of oh yeah can I picture a woman or a person of color or a woman of color in this role and when you have a majority of your camp candidates that are sampled from I think they said 6% of the population which is like white male Christian over 35 with an advanced degree Mm -hmm. you're just and you're so used to seeing these this archetype in politics so you need to have that psychological breakthrough of oh yeah I guess a woman could do this I guess a person of color could do this but even so women make up 51% of the US population but only 17% are represented in Congress Mm -hmm. only 34 women have as of 2011 only 34 women have served as governors I I know for a fact that's higher now but 34 women as opposed to 2,300 men. Mm-hmm. What the? And the US comes in 90th in the world in terms of women in politics. Meanwhile, 67 other countries have had female presidents or prime ministers. Yeah. It's so disheartening. It's it's so frustrating. Do you want to talk about Devanshi Patel, this little girl? Oh my God. The first Asian American female president of the United States. She's gonna run the world. I would vote for her tomorrow. Yes. I say little girl, but she's 18 at the time of this documentary what it is is she's 18 but she carries herself like a confident woman which most 30 year old women cannot do Mm -hmm. unfortunately i don't know where she gets that confidence from but it is just such a beautiful thing to see this young woman devanchi patel she's uh, at the time of the documentary she's 18 she's a senior in high school i referred to her as as little leslie note because Mm -hmm. it's accurate yeah because this this little girl if leslie note met this kid I keep saying little girl. I feel like that's so diminutive, but like compared to me, she's a little girl. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I apologize. Young woman. She she's a, a young, young woman, woman though. Leslie Nope would take this girl under her wing and be like, let me be <laughs> like, let me mentor you. My favorite thing is like they interviewed Devonchi's mother and her mother says to her, you know, you always want to be a leader, but do you know what a leader is? And she said, well, it's very simple. Leaders are just servants to the people. Like what kind of kid <laughs> says that? That's amazing. There are grown politicians who don't understand that. There are very important, prominent grown politicians who don't understand that. Mm-hmm. And you know who I'm talking about, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to say it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she talked about how she actually ran for office for the first time when she was in like fifth grade. And she ended up coming in second to a male opponent. And then she ended up, you know, now she's 18. She ran for youth governor of California. And she said that she faced a lot of outward sexism about how oh you're so well-spoken for a woman you're smart mm-hmm. for a woman and again she lost to a male opponent and the, mm-hmm. the documentarian actually interviewed the young man who ended up defeating her and he said that guys will vote for guys and girls will vote for guys but it's hard for girls to vote for girls yeah actually when i did my thesis on the gender gap in STEM, there were a lot of parallels between that and what I learned from this documentary. So one of the things I studied is like self-identity and associations. And so things like politics and the STEM fields are very strongly associated with masculinity. Hmm. And the closer you identify with femininity, the less capable you think you are of doing these masculine things. And obviously the opposite is true. The closer you identify as masculine, the better you think you are at these quote unquote masculine things. That 
doesn't necessarily reflect the truth. And in this case, it obviously doesn't because this young girl was obviously very bright and very capable. I think even her opponent was aware of that. Yeah. But these girls associate politics with maleness. And so if there's a male and a female running, they're going to vote for the person that they think that whose identity is more closely tied to this particular activity, in this case, politics. Mm -hmm. So it's like this self-fulfilling prophecy girls aren't as good at politics so girls don't get to do politics so they don't get to develop those skills so they really aren't as experienced as males and then like the cycle continues oh and not to mention it doesn't help that there's all those stupid jokes about like oh women will you know women in politics whenever they're on their period they'll go to war Mm -hmm. yeah okay what an what an original joke you got there buddy Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that in middle school from one of my male teachers. Oh, no. I still, like, I still remember that. This, I still remember this joke to like this day, and I remember who said it. But that's the sort of thing that sticks with you. Like, this is sixth grade, and he made this stupid joke. And at the time, I knew it was nonsense, but I didn't have the linguistic abilities that I more or less have now and I I like couldn't come up with anything besides an eye roll which was a lot for me at the age of well like 11 12 but it sticks with you like you hear that when your brain is still developing and it's something that you think about even though you know that it's nonsense and if women believe they buy into that nonsense and they don't take on leadership roles and then there's no one to be an example, you know? But the thing is, is that no one has to lead the way. It's great that women have led the way, but nobody has to. They just have to get out there and do it. But if they get beaten down Mm -hmm. and beaten down like that, we're never going to see that. Mm -hmm. Person in the documentary featured Caroline Heldman. She is a professor of political science at Occidental College. And she explained that according to the American Psychological Association, there is an epidemic in the U.S. of self-objectification in women. Mm -hmm. And have you heard of self-objectification? I don't actually think I had heard that term before Mm -hmm. I watched this documentary. You know these things, but like... There's a difference between kind of vaguely knowing it's a thing and then hearing someone who's like a professional discuss it. And it's really Mm -hmm. enlightening to hear someone talk about it the way she did. Yeah. So basically, self-objectification means that you see yourself as an object and not a person. And the more that women and girls self-objectify, they're more likely to be depressed. They're more likely to have eating disorders, lower confidence, lower ambition, lower cognitive function, and lower overall GPAs. And women who are high self-objectifiers also have low political efficacy. That's a new word I learned from this documentary. And (laughs) political efficacy basically means that you think your voice matters in politics. Mm -hmm. So in summation, women who are high self-objectifiers have low political efficacy, which means they don't think their voices matter in politics. And that is so sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is really depressing. They don't see themselves as people. They see themselves as property, as objects, as, you know, as targets of affection for like... And things to be admired. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who said it in the documentary, but there's this idea of the perfect woman in the eyes of the media industry, and it's she should look like Marilyn Monroe, have sex like Samantha on Sex and the City, and think like June Cleaver. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. And I remember when we were discussing it, you know, texting, you said that you were interested about how like the pre-Hayes code, like in the 20s and 40s, the way women were portrayed in the movies. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting that we've actually gotten worse at depicting fully fleshed 3D women in film. And they cited some examples of characters who could be the femme fatale in one scene and then the next scene they were a mom and then the next scene they were bantering with their partner and they didn't have to be this one-dimensional object like we were just talking about they could be people and then like slowly but surely that started disappearing and women in in film typically are there to look good regardless of what they're doing they get like one or two lines so that 
you can pretend that they're a character, but for the most part, Mm -hmm. their job is to look good on screen and to have chemistry with the male protagonist because it's always a male protagonist. (laughs) I think there's a TV trope called the sexy lamp test. Right. Where if you can replace the character with a sexy lamp and not have the story, (laughs) Mm -hmm. not have the story change at all, it has failed the sexy lamp test. Mm -hmm. Or it yeah. is passes. What is what's worse? What's better? Passing or failing the sexy lamp test? <laughs> and capitalism played into this, right? I learned so much <laughs> from <laughs> this documentary. So yeah, I didn't realize that TV shows had to. I mean, I guess I you always know, but again, this is one of those things where like it's spelled out, and you're like, well, duh. So. <laughs> <laughs> the TV shows have to obviously get sponsors and sponsors are TV commercials and these TV shows have to reflect the ideals put forward by these commercials. So in what was it like the 50s? Mm-hmm. It was I think before that. Well, it was like post World War II. Right, it was cuz they wanted to get women back in the home after working in the factories. Exactly. It was your Susie homemaker and your kitchen is top of the line. So you'd have commercials for pledge and a fridge and an oven. And then these TV shows had to reflect that. And I think most times they'd actually be like, well, my new Frigidaire fridge, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Right in the TV show. Um, But then it that still is a thing. It just doesn't look like that. Now you have... Budweiser commercials with girls in bikinis and TV shows have to reflect those ideals. Any schlub can get a hot chick and life is easy breezy if you buy Budweiser. So it went from Susie Homemaker to like this awful derogatory term, but bikini bimbo. Mm-hmm. Like we said earlier in the episode, the target demographic for all media is males between the ages of 18 and 34. Right, because women automatically watch tv mm-hmm. and so in order in order to get dudes to watch it we need naked ladies one of the people mm-hmm. said outright we are a nation of teenage boys <laughs> which i thought was an amazing line i mean it makes sense it does this was in reference to society not knowing what to do with women in power so they objectify them but it, in this case in the terms of media you have ad execs who typically are young male typically white making commercials and it's like what do i want to see boobs so let's make commercials <laughs> with boobs in them and then the commercials have boobs in them and people are like cool this is on my tv and it's like mm-hmm. this cycle of when you think about it you have young boys watching this on tv and enjoying it and thinking that it's normal and then when they become professionals they think that that's the standard exactly and it's it's so funny that it went from being so female focused to being so male focused because the commercial industry literally started with uh, they use the phrase in the documentary re-domestication of women mm-hmm. it's like we <laughs> so dehumanizing I know. Well, because, you know, during World War II, women went off to work the industrial jobs, the heavy duty jobs. And then when the men came back from war, they were like, bye, even though 80 percent of the 80 percent of the women in the workforce wanted to stay in the workforce. They went from. That's so sad. So they went from doing heavy duty work, like building planes and making bombs and like, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. I'm working with power tools. And they were like, you know what? Thanks for your service, Betty. Now get back in the kitchen. Look, something shiny. It's mm-hmm. a refrigerator. Go get it. Mm-hmm. Also, speaking of speaking of ad execs, did you notice that they used clips of Mad Men a lot? Yes. In this documentary? Because they, they were talking about how like like this is what a woman was meant to do, and not only mm-hmm. does she not have choices, she wouldn't have wanted any to begin with. Mm-hmm. And they refer to Betty Draper a lot. Like they show clips and they don't, mm-hmm. you know, it's obvious that they're talking about Betty yeah. Draper. Women like her. Which is perfect because when the show starts, it's Betty dealing with mental health issues mm-hmm. because she feels like her life is just going nowhere. She just is a mom and a housewife and she isn't happy. Mm-hmm. And her, her spoilers, her husband's a womanizer. But she's going through that thing where she can't control her hands. So there's like this actual physical manifestation of like her general ennui. Mm-hmm. Good word. So it's- <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So it's pretty perfect that they chose, like they knew what they were doing. Betty Draper is the physical ideal of her time and of, most of american history Mm -hmm. and 
She's doing the right thing. She stays at home. She cooks. She cleans. She's got the two kids. They've got the dog. Mm. It's the perfect household, but she isn't happy. No wonder why everybody in that era was an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would drink too. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. I know this is like a total off topic. My favorite scene, it's like in like it's probably in one of the first episode of Mad Men is there's a scene where Betty and her friend are sitting at the kitchen table. Each of them has a martini Mm -hmm. in one hand and a cigarette in the other. Mm -hmm. And her friend gets up to Mm -hmm. yell at her kid and she's like eight Mm -hmm. months pregnant. And I'm like, there (laughs) it is. That's in a nutshell. (laughs) I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, whoa. And not only that, like, you also see, like, women like Peggy and Joan who don't fit into that archetype Mm -hmm. and trying to fit into this world that isn't made for them Mm -hmm. and succeeding and people being intimidated that they were succeeding. And there's that thing, again, of men don't know what to do with successful women, so they Mm -hmm. pigeonholed. Peggy and Joan. Joan was mm-hmm. the sex pot just because she looks like that. And yeah, she's an attractive woman, but she ran the office. Oh, yeah. She knew everything that was going on. She knew how to do everything. She was like the go to person for everything. And still, at the end of the day, she got sexually harassed. And then Peggy, because she isn't trying to be va va voom or marry someone, she gets pigeonholed as like the mousy prude. Mm hmm. Who eventually goes on to, like, kick everyone's ass. Oh, absolutely. Peggy is my hero. Mm-hmm. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Mina, I know you you enjoyed, moving on to, like, the next part of this, you enjoyed a term that, that they brought up in the documentary while talking about action films. Yes. So <laughs> this term, like, blew my mind because it's so it. perfect. That is the fighting fuck toy. <laughs> And the fighting fuck toy, I'm just going to keep saying it, is the female character who appears empowered, but she's still created to cater to the male gaze. Mm -hmm. So we went through a period where action movies were led by women. Everyone was like, well, feminism empowerment. But these were movies like Tomb Raider and Underworld and Resident Evil, where they were women who kicked ass, but of course they looked stunning the entire time. Mm-hmm. And they were in tiny outfits. And completely shaved underarms. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which yes. always cracks No matter me up. how much, yeah, doesn't matter how long they're like away from civilization, there isn't anybody here on them. <laughs> completely <laughs> like a newborn baby. <laughs> <laughs> but I... I always think about Lara Croft. I'm not familiar with the games, but she's, I believe, an archaeologist or an anthropologist. And she's like a female Indiana Jones in video games, which is pretty rad. But when they put the posters out, they enhanced Angelina Jolie's bosom in the poster. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, all that really matters is that you think that she has big knockers, even though Angelina Jolie is actually a very slender woman. That's what Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Like, when people got to the theater, they weren't like, wait a minute. Right. I'm also pretty sure that if the video game version of Lara Croft was a real person, she would topple over because... It's that Barbie thing. Yeah, I will say that the new Tomb Raider, who Lara Croft is being portrayed by Alicia Vikander, I hope I'm saying Mm -hmm. her name right. First of all, she's stunning. Mm -hmm. Second of all, she looks so badass Mm -hmm. i don't know have you seen pictures of this girl i've seen a few stills from the movie i didn't pay too much attention to it i didn't either that might be because i still have that bad taste of the fighting fuck toy in my mouth and maybe this movie doesn't fall into that trope so she's she's small chested and yes she's slender but you can tell that her arms are insane (laughs) She has amazing muscular arms and shoulders, but I definitely think that this Tomb Raider is made for more, a more modern audience who saw the Angelina Jolie to- Tomb Raider and said, F that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
maybe it's a step in the right direction, but the first Tomb Raider definitely left a sour, you know, taste. So in the documentary, they say that women are programmed to think that their path to power is sex. And they want to convey this message that sex equals power, but that's not really how it goes. I mean, Gloria Steinem, who's interviewed in the documentary, she pointed out that in our society, we only value women when they are sexually slash reproductively active, which A, gross. Mm -hmm. B, we do have a patriarchal society in which women are seen as childbearers. And once they get past that point, they decrease in value. Again, gross. Mm -hmm. So- I haven't seen this new film, Red Sparrow, but I read some stuff about it and how problematic it is, obviously. And that's the Mm -hmm. Jennifer Lawrence film where she's a Russian spy. Yeah. She's like a sleeper agent, right? Right. Something like that. And so she goes through her training and the article describes her training as her seducing men. And that's literally all they show. Because really, she learned how to fight and how to be badass, but they don't show any of that. They show the male counterparts fighting and doing all that cool stuff, and they show her repeatedly seducing men and being objectified repeatedly on screen, and they do that thing where assaults on her body are filmed via the male gaze. Mm. And I feel like that is the epitome of your power lies in your sex. She's a... Russian spy who can murder people with her bare hands, but the entire movie focuses on the fact that she looks hot and can seduce men. And I feel like she can murder you with her vagina. <laughs> <laughs> like, did a 12 year old write that? Like, again, <laughs> we're a nation of teenage boys. She's tough and she's hot and she beats people up and she has sex with people. I mean, Paul Haggis, who's a writer and producer, again, interviewed in the film. He was talking about how men literally just do not know how to write women. Right. And he said, what we actually write are cartoon characters. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) thank you for saying it. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, women are expected to write characters that they can't relate to. J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter, and Harry Potter is a fully fleshed out character, but you rarely see the opposite where a male writer writes a female character and gets it right. Mm Mm-hmm. It is super rare. Didn't you read something about that show Rise? Yes. So Rise is based on a true story, which makes me even angrier. And it's based on a gay music teacher. And the showrunner, I forget who it is. It's someone who has a lot of shows under their belt. But he switched the male protagonist to someone straight because it would make it easier for him to write this character and relate to the character. Yeah. Is it really that hard to get a gay writer in the room? I mean... Is it? No, it's Hollywood. It's full of gay people. So it's not that hard. Full of gays. And also, is it really that hard to relate to someone who falls for people who are the same gender as them? Just literally change your pronouns. Literally, every time you write she, just change it to he. He loved her. Oh, wait. Mm, he, he loved, loved him. him. I mean, it's like that Ben Affleck quote where he's like, the hardest thing you can do is a homosexual kiss. And everyone's like, oh, I feel like there are harder things you can do in acting. Are we really going to cite Ben Affleck as some sort of... <laughs> you know modern bard here because i don't think he deserves that kind of recognition but listen the reboot of one day at a time Mm -hmm. first of all one of the showrunners is latinx but they went out of their way to staff not only latinx writers but queer latinx writers Mm -hmm. so they've shown that it is literally not i mean like in crazy ex-girlfriend they have a writer in the room who's filipino because they have a Filipino mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's laziness. It's laziness. It's so dumb. I saw this really great meme and it was like how the Jessica Jones showrunners got female directors for each episode. And then like the reblog was like, they hired female directors. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not rocket science. 
No. You look for them and you hire them. This goes also into another anecdote from the documentary from Catherine Hardwick. Mm-hmm. Our listeners may know Catherine Hardwick was the director of the first Twilight movie. But before she did Twilight, she made this incredible indie film called 13. Mina, have you seen 13? Ah, it's so good. It's so good. Little itty bitty Evan Rachel Wood mm-hmm. with Holly Hunter. What I didn't know is that this movie was so low budget that they shot the movie in Catherine Hardwick's house with the <laughs> actors wearing her clothes, using her car. <laughs> and it ended up going to Sundance, mm-hmm. won a ton of awards, got mm-hmm. international distribution. Mm-hmm. But when it came for her to direct Twilight, two major studios turned it down because the project came attached with a woman director. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until this little indie production was like, well, I guess we'll give this a go. And then the Twilight movie phenomenon happened. And then the next three, right? There were three, four total Twilight movies, right? Mm-hmm. Four total, yeah. Yeah. The studios purposefully did not seek out women directors. And Catherine Hardwick was booted because she was literally told, we think a man should direct this. I don't, Okay. <laughs> I don't understand any of that. First mm. of all, the first Twilight movie is an indie film. That's <laughs> hilarious. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> the first Twilight movie is an indie film. It's oh, no. Oh, good. But on top of that, so the reason she couldn't get funding for 13 and had to like pay for it out of pocket was because she was a female director and it was a female driven film so she purposely wrote the cheapest movie she could which like Mm -hmm. that is so like ingenious sad that she had to do Mm -hmm. it but like brilliant of her to do it Mm -hmm. and then she makes twilight and it's it's like silly campy fun it's not good material she did the best she could with it (laughs) the soundtrack is amazing And it's a success. And still, Hollywood is like, no one's gonna see a film by a female director. And it's like, did you do you see the numbers? (laughs) I don't understand. Meanwhile, Patty Jenkins, who directed Wonder Woman, also from an indie background, Uh laughing all the way to the bank now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she also got a lot of crap and everyone mm. was rooting against her uh-huh. patty jenkins has only done indie films how is she going to do this massive blockbuster meanwhile most of those big studio films are directed by male directors with an indie background but no one bats an eyelash at that i mean taika waititi came from a strictly indie background taika waititi makes hilarious low-budget New Zealand films. Here comes Taika Waititi again. Like he makes these really weird, quirky New Zealand films, mm-hmm. and he ends up making arguably one of the best Marvel movies ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he got complete creative control. Mm-hmm. Didn't Ryan Coogler also come from an indie background? Yes, Ryan Coogler's background. He did Fruitvale Station, and he did Creed. I think. Would you consider Creed indie though? Creed is. I think. There's got to be something between big, like, blockbuster and indie. Yeah. Because Creed is filmed well, but it's got the Rocky legacy behind it. Yeah. And, the, I mean, the first Rocky movie, like, I'm pretty sure if iPhones existed, Sylvester Stallone would have shot that on an iPhone. <laughs> like, that's how low budget uh-huh. that was. Yeah. That's another guy who, like, wrote this film and was, like, a nobody. Mm-hmm. And managed to knock it out of the park yeah i mean he gave us black panther again arguably one of the best marvel movies right now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's almost like diversity like injects freshness into the things that we love and like we get different ideas from it or something oh my god (laughs) Nina, it sounds like you need to go for redomestication. It sounds like your ideas are just flashing out a little bit. Redomestication. <laughs> I mean, the documentary, they talks a lot about how women should be helping other women. It's not a competition. It's about lifting people up. And that's something that men sometimes don't understand. Mm-hmm. With men, it's all about competition and aggression. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get, you know, and that's how you get toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And that's how you get 
men who lash out. Mm-hmm. That's how you get men who don't know how to handle having a woman boss or a woman who's more successful than them. Right. When women aren't competing, people are pitting them against each other. Mm-hmm. It's like this weird need to see quote unquote cat fighting Mm -hmm. so like you'll have who wore it best and like female actresses are like what are you doing (laughs) like (laughs) she looks good I look good and Hollywood's Mm -hmm. like oh cat fight Mm -hmm. speaking of also men though I will say before like we get accused of being man haters Uh, (laughs) the documentary does actually a really good job of including the male perspective Mm -hmm. i think it's an important message about feminism because we do get a bad rap we get the assumption that we think men are lesser that men don't deserve as much respect that we hate them but feminism is about equality across all demographics Mm -hmm. and the documentary did a great job at not amplifying the voices of the men but encouraging them to speak on this topic in a way that supports mm-hmm. the documentary's theories so i thought it was really great because they talked to high school boys that was my favorite thing actually i think is yeah. seeing these young men who like i said your brain is still developing and your worldview is still developing and seeing these young boys say these like harsh truths and like A, it gives me hope for the future, and B, it reminds me of how difficult it is to be a teenager and hearing all of this crap. Like, some kids are smart enough to not absorb it, but it's really hard with peer pressure and with society the way it is to not just take it all in and think these crappy things. Do you think it's harder to be a teenager now than it was when we were kids? I don't. I think it's definitely different. I feel like kids today definitely have more access to more things than we did just because mm-hmm. of the internet. But like we discussed at the very beginning, that also means that you're constantly being bombarded with all of this crap. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's like this give and take thing where we didn't have access to all of this information and like little baby Yamina couldn't be like, down with capitalism because I didn't know enough (laughs) to think that but I also wasn't on Facebook all the time looking at images of women who I don't look like I saw it on TV (laughs) I'm not saying I didn't see it I'm saying it wasn't 24 7 constantly so I don't I, I don't know if they have it easier it's definitely different though yeah i mean there's in the beginning of the documentary when they're talking to high school girls there's this one girl who says that she has a little sister who self-harms because she doesn't look like mm-hmm. what she's on tv and she says when is it gonna be enough mm-hmm. what is it gonna take i don't want my sister to hurt herself yeah and that just brought tears to my eyes because mm-hmm. like i'm sure that when we were kids i mean i had those thoughts when i was a, mm-hmm. a, you know a young teenager And, you know, it's got to be at least amplified Mm -hmm. nowadays, you know? Yeah. I just want to move quickly to, if you don't mind, I'm just going to throw out some statistics. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read off some years, and then I'm going to tell you guys what these years have in common. So, 1972, 1976, 1982, 1985, 2002, 2004, 2009. So, all of those years... Studies were done that showed that the violence on TV and in video games were directly correlated to violent behavior. So that's seven years, seven studies, proven that what we see in the media is linked to what we see in real life. Mm -hmm. In a world where one in four women are victims of sexual assault, one in six are victims of domestic violence, there have been pleas to Congress with these studies saying, please, please regulate the violence that is shown on TV. And nothing has been done. No policy changes have been made. People are still getting hurt. They're more about making money than the protection of women and girls. And we're Mm -hmm. actually seeing similar things happening right now with the debate over gun control, Mm -hmm. which I don't think we should get into. Mm -hmm. But it's really obvious that sometimes money speaks louder than the lives of, you know, impressionable people in this country. Mm -hmm. And that's really upsetting. You know, people also are so quick to attribute gun violence to video games. But nobody mentions that women are the target of this violence Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Yeah, exactly. 
We've also seen studies that sexually explicit violence in video games and music videos are also linked to the acceptance of rape myths and sexual harassment. So Mm -hmm. more fun. Mm -hmm. Lots of fun things happening in this country. And nothing has been done. Mm -hmm. There have been several pleas to like do some sort of regulation, dial it back. I mean, and all they'll be like, we'll slap a warning sticker on it. Is that okay? No, I was in middle school buying CDs with explicit content on them. They mm-hmm. didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember my brother, who was an avid video gamer as a kid, still is, being able to just walk into Blockbuster and getting Grand Theft Auto. Mm-hmm. That's a, where a lot of this started. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's only gotten worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, almost every day you're like, here's a special code so that you can, you know, rape a sex worker. Yeah. Here's a special code where you can remove their clothes and beat them with a baseball bat. Yeah. Why are you making these? Yeah. Why though? No, really. Why though? Like, why? I don't know. Like, there aren't words. I don't know how to express the fact that there is no need for you to play a video game in which you assault a helpless woman. Like, if you're getting satisfaction from that, you need help. Yeah. I'm not, like, I I love gratuitous violence as much as the next person, but there's a line. There is. Vin Diesel and The Rock punching each other is one thing, <laughs> but assaulting, <laughs> assaulting a helpless woman is something completely different for no apparent reason right exactly because you can mm-hmm. it's almost like the purge but it's like right i don't know you've seen the purge movies <laughs> <laughs> i have and i love them i don't know but that's a pretty good comparison except that the purge yeah. movies are actually really good <laughs> social commentary but no that's the whole point <laughs> the whole point is that the whole point of those movies actually is that in this case it's rich people rich people go after underprivileged people to get their kicks so it's always people in power mm-hmm. getting some sort of thrill out of beating on people who already are struggling and underprivileged it's literally just you know chaos and there's nothing we can do about it and with very little with very little substance behind it mm-hmm which is even scarier. Yeah. Which is like, just because you can. Womp womp. Brought the room down. I mean, there's more to bring the room down, my friend. <laughs> I mean, there are some statistics. Now, these statistics are from uh, when the movie was made, which is 2011. But at the time of the movie was being made, 53% of 13-year-old girls are unhappy with their bodies. And that number goes up to 78% by the age of 17. Yeah. At 13, why are you worrying about that? I know. My friend? Yeah. At 17... Why are you worrying about that, my friend? Like, like at 17, you should be thinking about what you're going to do after high school. Right. Not if your body is in the right proportions or whatever. And if what you want to do after high school is get married and have kids, go for it. Right. But don't think that that's your only option. Mm-hmm. Don't change your body to just, I mean, and not only that, but like 65% of women and girls have eating disorders in this country, uh-huh. which I was surprised by that statistic. I thought that number might be different. I thought it was going to be lower. I didn't think it was that high. Right. Which is staggering to me. 65% and 17% engage in cutting or injurious behaviors. And between 2000 and 2010, the rates of depression in women and girls have doubled. I believe every single one of these numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it's because there's more media Like, 2000 to 2010, that's pretty much, like, a peak of the boom of the internet, right? Yeah. I mean, it can't be just a coincidence. It's definitely, there's got to be some sort of correlation there. And maybe with reality TV, too. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a really (laughs) good point. I hate reality TV so much. But, yeah, and, like, the rise of celebrity culture and celebrity worshiping i think is a huge part of the problem too we have these women who are famous solely for you know being on tv or even worse having their sex tape leaked Mm -hmm. which again there's nothing wrong with making a sex tape there is something wrong with leaking it and then there's something wrong with worshiping someone because they got famous because their sex tape was leaked but Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to slut shame or kink shame anyone but my point is that you have these women who spend all of their money on achieving these ridiculous beauty ideals and then you have teens and tweens who are worshiping these women and i don't like 
I don't know. These are their heroes and their heroes are the heroes because they look a certain way. And wanting to be beautiful is fine. Right. Only wanting to be beautiful and getting all of your self-worth from being beautiful, that's the problem. I mean, on average, the women in this country spend twelve to fifteen thousand dollars a year on beauty products and salon services. Twelve to fifteen thousand dollars a year you said on average so that's that's a lot of money sorry like obviously it's a lot of money but like that's a lot of money Mm -hmm. i mean judging by the size of my lipstick collection i would say it's probably accurate i'm probably setting the curve now that i think about it (laughs) my lipstick collection is insane you guys it's really bad i I think i have a problem (laughs) wait so the number that really blew my mind in this documentary was so a facelift cost about 11 grand Mm. which is enough for five years of community college two years of state college and one year at the university of california which means that for what you pay for a facelift or the number you decided for beauty products for a whole year you could educate yourself. Or somebody else. Or somebody else. You could buy an education. Exactly. And also, the number of cosmetic surgeries performed on women under the age of 19 Ugh. tripled between 1997 and 2007. 19! Your body is still not done developing. Yeah, and it's not going to stop developing until you're like, what, in your mid-20s? Something like that. I mean, you're 19 and you're... Yeah, you're not even done becoming a person and you already want to change that. Yeah. We're not shaming anybody who gets plastic surgery, but if societal pressures weren't as strong as they are, Mm -hmm. probably not everybody would be getting plastic surgery. Right. And again, wanting to be beautiful isn't a crime. It's making that your one goal or deciding that your value as a person is completely derived from how you look. You, me, and our listeners need to sit down and really think about why we do the things we do and it's really 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 difficult because these things have been so burned into our brains but there's nothing wrong with wanting to do a full face of makeup for yourself absolutely not i mean i know if i don't i love to put on a little makeup and Mm -hmm. feel nice Mm -hmm. but when when there are days where i don't put on makeup i actually feel kind of incomplete Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm half dressed almost and i i thought to myself this actually happened to me yesterday I was so tired I didn't even put on lipstick which is a big deal for me and I actually thought to myself well is it me or do I want people to look at me and have them think oh she looks nice today Mm -hmm. I really had to think about it and once I realized that like I was doing it because other people expect it I was like fuck it Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna put on makeup today yeah because you know it doesn't matter nothing matters in the end and on that note should we <laughs> should we wrap things up nothing matters it's all blackness and a void and everything is terrible i just have like one final thought 80 mm-hmm. percent of the buying power in this country belongs to women mm-hmm. guys let's use it mm-hmm. let's use it if something is happening that is is not agreeable to you hit them where it hurts mm-hmm. in their wallets yeah. Didn't that happen to like Shea Moisture? Yeah. Where they, they ran a really controversial ad mm-hmm. and people like en masse started to boycott. Yeah, money talks. Exactly. Money talks. Use it. Don't don't support that Woody Allen movie. Mm-hmm. Don't buy that from that makeup company whose CEO said shitty things about trans people. Mm-hmm. Don't watch that TV show that arbitrarily killed off a gay character mm-hmm. for no apparent reason. Don't support these things, and eventually the money will talk. Mm-hmm. Mina, do you have any final thoughts, my dear? Just that as depressing as this conversation has been, I think we need to think about those teenagers that this documentary interviewed and the things that they said. And man, we got to support these kids because mm-hmm. like, if feels like now more than ever they're the future and they need to know that they can experiment and protest and do what they think is right and they will be the net that like catches them but life is already hard enough as a kid like let's let's support them let's let them do their thing like look at what's happening look at everything that's happening i won't go into specifics because that's not this isn't the place for that but 
kids are getting stuff done and that's pretty awesome. And especially kids from underrepresented communities, we need to let them speak up and have that voice. Well said, my friend. Thank you. So we hope you guys liked this. This was something really different. Mm -hmm. Um, If you watched the documentary with us, we would love to hear your feedback. If you guys liked this, maybe we'll do another one. Mm Mm-hmm. This was a really fun and I'm not going to lie, a really easy episode to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good episode. And, you know, if there's any topics that you want us to like cover, any documentaries you'd like to hear our thoughts on, you know, hit us up. You could find us on Facebook. We're at Geek and Amazon's podcast on Facebook. We also have the Geek and Amazon's discussion page, which I'm, we're trying to make a little bit more active. You could find us on Twitter and Instagram at Geek and Amazon's. If you'd like to email us, we're at geekandamazons at gmail.com. We have the Geek and Legion Tumblr, which is geekandlegion.tumblr.com, run by Miss Mina. Hey. And you can also find our brother podcast through the Geek and Legion. It's Geek and Warriors. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Geek and Warriors. And they can be emailed at thegeekandwarriors at gmail.com. We have a Patreon page also. We still have our one patron, Nikki, who's awesome. Hey, girl. Hey. Hey, girl. Hey. And the Geek and Legion supports not only us, but Geek and Warriors and our new member of our Geek and Legion family, How to Make a Memory. Woo-hoo. And yeah, so find us on the social meds and uh, say hi. Let us know what you're thinking. And <laughs> you just love when I say that, don't you? <laughs> Every time. Every time it makes me laugh. You know who would totally say that? Schmidt from New Girl. (laughs) Yes. Maybe that's why it cracks me up so hard. (laughs) I can picture him saying the social meds. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. And this has been Geek and Amazons. I'm Bella. I'm Mina. Talk nerdy to me. Talk nerdy to me.